and the wine, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic. And my first impression was, wow, you know, it was a love, it was a love feast you were going to. And the Jews do that, that every Friday. You can see some how they would set their table. And, and the Jews, don't they, they have all the feasts all throughout the year. How many feasts do they have? Many, many dozens of different feasts. And the Passover feast is the biggest feast of all. If you've ever been to a Passover meal here and seen what they do, it's a very interesting thing to do. So it's definitely embedded in the Jewish culture. Strangers are treated as family, often for better or worse. A lady told us a story of how she was there as a missionary. She was walking about Jerusalem and this Jewish family just said to her, would you like to come and join us for the Shabbat meal? She didn't know them or anything, but they were sort of out looking for strangers to invite into their home that night. And Jesus was all part of that. I'm just going to read this little thing that I found about a Jewish rabbi. And um, in the Jewish tradition, there is a story of a rabbi who was so holy that it was rumoured that on Sabbath afternoons he ascended into heaven to personally commune with God. One day, a couple of boys from the synagogue decided to follow the rabbi after Sabbath services to see whether he did indeed ascend to heaven. What they saw instead was that the rabbi spent the afternoon going to the homes of elderly and sick people. He cooked meals for old ladies and cleaned the houses of old men. On the next Sabbath, some of the elders jokingly asked the boys whether the rabbi had really ascended to heaven to commune with God. The boys answered, Oh no, he did not ascend to heaven, but he went much higher. Oh. Nice story, eh? So I just want to take you through some of the accounts in the Bible if you've got your phones there. And the first one, the first story we read is in Genesis 18, verses 1 to 12. I'm just going to move this one. And it's about Abraham and him having visitors. I, just read, I won't read them all, but I'll give you all the verses if you want to look at them when you get home. But this one is in Genesis 18, verse 1 to 12. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favour with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Then they said to him, Where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, There she's in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him, and she was really laughing. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and she wouldn't have been able to have any children, and she laughed. 
She laughed so they couldn't hear her laughing. But that was one of the first accounts in Genesis. And can you see from that how Abraham greeted those visitors with enthusiasm, didn't he? He ran out to greet them. He bowed to the ground, which was a custom. He showed them reverence. He did all he could for them. He ran and got, told his wife to bake bread and to kill a calf. Do you think he was saying, oh no, they're coming again. <laughs> what am I going to do? Quit, got to clean the house, do this, do that. No, he was enthusiastic, wasn't he? And really, some people have said they were angels. I mean, who knows who we entertain? Perhaps we could entertain strangers, who knows? I've always prayed that we've had lots of visitors in our house over the years that perhaps some of them were angels. <laughs> I never knew, but it's great that that can happen. So Abraham was an enthusiastic person, and they were in those days more so because of the culture they were in. In Hebrews 13.1, from the Message Translation, it says, Stay on good terms with each other, held to, stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why some have extended hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Would you like to entertain an angel? Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, we read these scriptures and sometimes we don't really believe them, do we? Or, or even believe it's possible. I think sometimes Christians say, it's not my gift, it's your gift, you're good at that, you're good at that. And I think we do have specific gifts. But, you know, we're all called to pray, but there are intercessors, aren't we? We're all called to witness, but there are evangelists. And I believe we're all called to hospitality. We've been showing hospitality this morning, an excellent hospitality, isn't it? Yes. We've come here, the tables are laid, and we've had a lovely breakfast cooked. But I think, as Christians, we can all do some sort of hospitality. It might be taking somebody to McDonald's, honestly, or just making a, having a coffee with someone in Costa. Yes. It's not like doing it perhaps how... You know, our neighbour might do it, but we can all do it in some way. Phone's going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the next one is Rahab. Have you heard of Rahab? Yes. And that scripture is in um, Joshua 2. So you can write those down because I won't read all those. There's not enough time. So these are some Old Testament examples. And the first one's Rahab and the spies. So Joshua sent two men to spy out the land, especially Jericho, do you remember the story? And they entered Rahab's house, a prostitute. I think that was the last house that they would enter. But she was kind, and she opened the house to them. I mean, she could have closed her house, said, I'm, I'm using it for other things. But um, she didn't, did she? But somehow, she, she felt that she would want to open a house. But the king of Jericho sent orders to bring the men that she was hiding out. But then she, was, she acted dumb and pretended, what men? What are you going on about? There's nobody here hiding. She said, you must have got it wrong. So she took them up to the roof and hid them on the roof, didn't she? And when it was safe, she let them down on a rope. And if we read in um, Joshua 6, 17, just that one verse I wanted to read what happened when they came to take the city. The city and all that is in it, that's Jericho, shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. But listen to this. Only Rahab the prostitute 
and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. Hey, isn't it good that if you, ha you, know, you invite people into your home, there's a protection that's afforded with it. So I think that's amazing. Did you know that Rahab was of the line of Jesus? Rahab, I think it was Salmon, were the mum and dad of Boaz, who married Ruth. So even, you know, of that line is amazing to me, that Jesus was of that line. Mm. Just go on to Elijah now. That story is in 1 Kings 17, verses 8 to 16. So Elijah, God's servant, was told to go to Zarephath. There had been no rain there for three years, so the brooks were all dried up. But God had pre prepared a widow there to feed him. So we've got the prostitute, now we've got a widow. So that's what I mean, no one is excluded from showing God's love. And there she was gathering sticks, and Elijah asked her to bring some water and also some bread. And she said, I've got nothing, nothing to give you because everything's gone, and because of the famine and the, and the water being dried up, she said... All I've got is a little meal of flour in a jar and a jug of oil. Never mind, he said, that's nothing. Just, just go and bake me some bread and you will see that the flour will not run out. And go and get the oil and you'll see that the oil will keep flowing. That's an amazing provision, a miracle of God, isn't it? So never say, I haven't got enough. Because as you step out with the little... God multiplies it, doesn't he? Like the loaves and fishes. And, um, and often, you know, you hear these stories in countries where they, you know, feed lots of children. I know in Kenya where they feed all these hundreds of children, they've got enough food for, say, 100, and somehow they feed the 300. So I think once you start pouring out, and that's what happened to Elijah. But there was a blessing also in her opening her home to him or giving him food. Well, the blessing came eventually. The son got sick and he almost died. Uh, but um, Elijah was able to go and bring healing to the son and he recovered. So you never know who you have in your house that they also bring a blessing of healing as well. So the next story is about Elijah. Sorry, I put me... can you hear me? Yeah. I've got a big mouth, so you should be able to hear me. Um, so similar story to Elijah. Elijah was passing through Shuman, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to have a meal. So whenever he passed that way, he would stop for a meal. So she knew that he would pass. So she also thought about, if he kept passing that way, she would prepare him a bed and a room in the loft and a table and a lamp. So when he passed that way, he could stay there. So that was very thoughtful, Ozzer. She not only provided food, but she provided a room for him. <coughs> Phil goes every week to Chingford, and he travels up from Hastings, and he was starting to come back every Tuesday night quite late, and the driving was getting too much for him. But a lady, a couple in Chingford said to him, we've prepared a bedroom for you with a bed and a table. It was just like this story. A bed, a table, and a lamp. So whenever you come to preach at Chingford, you don't have to go all the way back to Hastings. You can stay in our, our house overnight. And, and she, <laughs> this couple, she says, she says to him, this is your room, this is your room. You, you can come here when it, whenever you want. So, so that's a today account of what happened here. 
But also, this is a very similar story. This son got sick and died, this son. And the woman said, I've given you all this. I've given you a room and now you've come here. Now my son's died. He went out into the field and had a bad headache and he died. And in the end, she, took the, she, she sent Jehazi to put his staff on the son, but nothing happened. But then he took the boy and took the boy up to the room and laid on the child mouth to mouth, eyes upon eyes, hands upon hands, and the child became warm again. So that's a great story to read as well. So he, he was too revived from death, like the story before. So now on to the New Testament. We're doing all right. You've had enough to eat to last for lunch as well, okay? <laughs> so no excuse that you're hungry. <laughs> Right, so anyone who reads the New Testament, uh, I'm just going back to the Old a minute because there is so many more stories in the Old Testament. I've just picked a few, but going on to the New. So anyone who reads the Gospels cannot deny the fact that Jesus spent a lot of time in people's homes sharing a meal. I think the home that he went to the most was um, Mary and Martha, wasn't it? And he enjoyed going to Bethany. They were his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And often, you know, he'd traipse along with 12 hungry men in tow, wouldn't he? Can you imagine all the disciples? They were probably big guys, and when they came for a meal, they really were starving hungry. And that's in Luke 10, 38 to 41, if you want to read that story. But you know the story when Lazarus died, and the sister called for Jesus to come. Do you know, he didn't rush. He didn't rush because Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And when he got the news that Lazarus was really sick, he sort of said to his disciples, oh, there's no rush. It's like, we'll let God do what he's going to do. He knew that Lazarus was going to rise from the dead. So he stayed another couple of days. And Mary and Martha were saying, where's Jesus? He's got the message. Why doesn't he come? and pray for Lazarus and now it's too late because Lazarus has died and he's been in the tomb for four days he's actually stinking but he knew that he was going to say to Lazarus come forth because he, Jesus was the resurrection and the life and he wanted to show those around him that who he really was he was the resurrection and the life and I love Mary and Martha, don't I? Because it's like Mary's always, Martha's always the one rushing around, getting the food, um, doing this and that. And Mary's like sitting there, like listening to Jesus. And Martha's getting frustrated with her. Why aren't you helping me? And that happens in families today, doesn't it? Oh, that one doesn't do much. That one's doing all the work. But hospitality's like that. We have to give ourselves to people. It's all a part of not preferring ourselves, but to giving ourselves. Like you've done this morning, the team who have served you, they've given us their time and themselves for you to have a, a lovely time together. So hospitality is not thinking about ourselves. And then there's Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus, don't you? A tax collector who wanted to see Jesus, so climbed a sycamore tree. He must have been quite little. When I was in Israel, you saw the sycamore trees that had been there for hundreds of years. They were huge, huge yeah. trees. And you can imagine how Zacchaeus had gone up there and was sitting in the middle. But Jesus saw him and said, come down, Zacchaeus, because I'm coming to your house today. Never mind what you, if you've tied it up or not, I'm coming to your house today. And he was welcomed into his home. 
and Zacchaeus became a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus became a believer, didn't he? I think that's great, a great story. Not only that, but he gave half of his possessions, all that he had stolen as a tax collector, which, you know, taxmen are like that, aren't they? They always take too much. <laughs> he gave half of it back and gave it to the poor. So there are many more examples in the New Testament. That's what I mean when I said there was a thread running through the whole Bible from beginning to end. I haven't mentioned the marriage of Cana. I haven't mentioned Peter's home for supper and the healing of his mother-in-law, a banquet at Simon's house and a feast at Levi. But how about the time after the resurrection when Jesus was on the shores of Galilee? Again, when I was there on the shores of Galilee this year, I just, you can just imagine, you know, Jesus coming and he was cooking fish, wasn't he, for his disciples. And that's, that's another thing, you know, that when we get to heaven or the new heaven and the new earth, we think, oh, are we going to be eating? You know, will there be hospitality? Yes, of course there was, because after the resurrection, Jesus cooked fish for his disciples and they were blessed by it. He, he appeared many times to them after the resurrection. And then there's radical hospitality. I suppose for years um, we'd had different people in our home and um, it was like about, when I was about 40 I suppose, God just put this part of hospitality on my heart. And in Isaiah 58, 5 to 9, I love this scripture. I just want to read this because it's a, such a good one. I love this one. And God kept giving us, um, me and Phil, this particular scripture. Bear with me a minute. I thought I'd put a sticker in here, but I obviously didn't. Has anyone got it there, Isaiah 58, 5 to 9? Could someone read it if they've got it? I don't have to do it all. Thank you, Karen. Go. Is there five to nine? Yeah. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free? and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall, bring forth speed, shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. <coughs> then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. Amen. Amen. That's, I mean, I love that scripture. I think that's um, God's heart. That's not just everyday hospitality. It is radical hospitality. And it takes us out of our comfort zone. And it's not like having all the homeless in your house, I'm not saying that, but I think once you start serving the poor in those areas, like many of you have done at the soup kitchens, at the night shelter, I mean, Debbie here has done lots of it, um, Caroline, and some of you have served on those teams. You know, we think of the Salvation Army that for years have reached out to those alcoholics in society and the, and the downtrodden, that is radical hospitality. 
But God says, if you do it to the least of one of these, you do it as unto me. And sometimes we think, well, those people are in that situation because they've brought it on themselves. But I tell you, no, any one of us could be in that situation. You could lose your home so easily if you lose your job and you find yourself in dire circumstances if you haven't got family to help you. So we should never look down on those people. And I believe that Jesus sat with publicans and sinners, didn't he? It's not the healthy that needed a doctor, it's the sick. So I think that's really God's heart. I suppose I was quite a selfish person up to that point. I, I thought I was. I had no idea that there was this subculture of people out there. I just must have walked past people on the street and I had no idea that they were there or they even had a need. And when God opened my eyes to them and did something in my own heart, I think he had to break me down to have compassion and not to judge people. I think it was most, one of the most exciting times of my life that, those, that I could be involved in those people's lives. Not that I brought them anything particularly. I went to a funeral last week of a homeless man and he lived in Elin. He lived in St Stephen's Gardens. That's the church in, in, off Argyll Road. He lived in their gardens. The church let him live there for 25 years. He was, his father died when he was 11. His mother couldn't cope with him at home, so he left home at 20. Do you remember Charlie? Charlie, um, Debbie? Wheelchair. No, not in the wheelchair. No, oh. Charlie. Yeah, you, oh, Charlie. you wouldn't. Yes. yes. So he, so from the age of about 20 until about 65, he was wandering around Ealing. But for 20 of those years, the church let him stay in the church gardens, and he passed away and I went to his funeral last week so I had to speak, just give a few words. And, you know, that man kept coming in each week to the soup kitchen for his food and his family had nothing to do. He met his sister just a week before he died. And somehow St Mungo's reunited him and he actually saw his sister just before he passed away. But what I'm saying is just a life that was just wandering about. But because the soup kitchen and there was support and people who took him in and loved him and did things for him, life was a bit more meaningful. So that's what I mean. That is radical hospitality. And God's very pleased with that. Jesus was the perfect example of sitting with publicans and sinners, the outcasts, the downtrodden and the broken. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So just coming to land now. Just a few um, helpful things, really. Hospitality requires kindness and generosity. It's not how much we've got. It's a heart attitude. If we feel kind and generous... You know, even when you go down the street and you see a homeless guy... I, you know, I collect now. I collect the McDonald's things on the cups. And, you know, you get the stickers and you can collect the drinks. You, do you know what I mean? Yeah, if you collect them, and when you see a homeless person, you can give them out. You're not giving money, but you can say, look, you can get a drink at McDonald's. Yeah. You know, and that, that really helps. Or if you can get vouchers or anything that can help people, because people don't like giving money. Hospitality should be shown to everyone. Everyone is worth something. There's nobody too rich or too poor. 
it goes further than you think. We never know what effect we have on people. We could have saved someone from suicide. People get lonely, depressed. It's Mental Health Week this week. And, you know, we just don't know what state people are in, how we might affect someone. And hospitality is the Velcro that joins us together. These things join us together. It's not just sun Sunday's great, isn't it? We come and worship God, but it's not the Velcro that joins us together. It's those little mirrors. Okay, time for a dance. Okay. And finally, I think that's all up there. Just with me five minutes. Finally, and I notice you have one day Jesus will prepare for us a, a big supper, a banquet in heaven, won't he? Have you heard about that, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we all come to a big meal and Jesus will be there. And I think somehow he's going to lay the table quite special, don't you? He's done that all right there. And I think this is a nice thing, you know, when you have guests, just to make it a little bit special. You know, you can throw it together, or you can make a little bit of an effort. If it's a special occasion, you wouldn't perhaps do this every time. You know, but people are worth it, aren't they? They're worth a little bit of extra love and making them feel special. Perhaps you might like to have some wine, <laughs> alcoholic or non-alcoholic. There might be two people, there might be four, there might be 40. <clears throat> it's that feeling that you've made an effort. I think candles are always nice. She does them all like this. person and it makes it quite special because you don't know you know um, 
what somebody's going through, and that scripture could really mean something. So I put joy on one and love on another.
And we thank you that your heart is completely full of hospitality, because you gave of your son for us. You couldn't give any more. We thank you for his example of how he went into people's homes, how he gave himself. He sat with the poor and the broken. And we pray, Lord, that we would today go out with some of your heart for the world around us. We wouldn't become insular Christians, but there's a whole world of people that need you. As we think of mental health, we can so many people suffer from depression and the pressures of life. And we pray that we would be a church in our community that looks out for those people and offers a meal, a bed, a cup of coffee, whatever it is, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you all. Bless you. Oh my goodness me.